Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host and catalyst for growth, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Into the Storm Leaders podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Mike Ryan from the M. Ryan Group. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. I, I was introduced to Mike by a member of our team, Kimberly Dyer, uh, and we connected a, a week or two ago, and I learned a little bit more about what you do. It's like, oh, absolutely. Get in here. Let's talk about this, uh, because Mike has been a part of GE, a part of Goodyear. Uh, you, you've been doing your own thing now about seven years? About seven years, yeah. Seven years or so. And what is that? What, what, what is it that you do? So what I do is help solve supply chain and inventory problems for manufacturers and distributors. And what that means in English is when a business has too much of the wrong stuff and it's killing their cash flow or not enough of the right stuff and their customers are mad, which in turn hurts their cash flow, I help understand in what ways we can do things differently to produce the desired outcomes. That resonated for me uh in part because of my own experiences uh about a decade ago as part of an organization that had all sorts of cash flow issues and i i felt it my teams felt it on a daily basis and there was a lot of root cause analysis that was needed and unfortunately we, we were too far behind it it wasn't something we really climbed out of soon enough right so i i'm sure you've seen some some good some bad some ugly <laughs> and has some wisdom to share on that and what i was most fascinated about is in our conversation as we sat here and had some lunch before we kicked off was correlating some of the principles that you help organizations with back to leadership right right and uh how having certain focus as leaders can allow you to just operate more effectively, right? Absolutely. So I want to open that up a bit today. I want to learn more about you and share with our listeners because I think you have a really fascinating story and some good stuff to share. Uh, so we'll talk about your peak leadership experience, some storms that you and or your clients have charged into to get to better outcomes faster. Uh, I'm sure you've got some good ones there. <laughs> got a couple, yeah. Uh, and dig in more to uh, how you operate, what some of your successes have been, and any sort of guidance that you can give uh, to organizations that may have inventory issues uh, or cash flow and working capital shortages and right. things like that that you, you may be able to help with. I ask that you keep in mind our listeners, a lot of them are emerging leaders, folks in their mid-career uh, looking to continue to grow and, and learn and 
uh, level up as leaders. So any any wisdom around operational effectiveness, probably going to do them a whole lot of good. And a fair amount of our listeners are also executives just looking to continually sharpen things. Right. And get get smarter and and better uh, as leaders, even if they are really proven accomplished. So let's go back uh, as early as you'd like to. <laughs> and it, tell us about you. Like, tell us about kind of how you got into doing what you do, uh, your journey, and just uh, some of the stops along the way that had, had an impact on becoming the person that you are. I appreciate it. And thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I've always been interested in understanding how things work. Uh, my dad loves to tell a story uh, about when I was two years old, he bought me a set of stubby screwdrivers. And my mom and everybody freaked out. And uh, I proceeded to take apart anything kind of knee level down. Uh, and, and what I learned about myself at that point was, uh, right, number one, if somebody put it together, I could take it apart. And number two, sometimes putting it back together isn't always easy. So I've always had an appreciation for how things fit together, how things work. Uh, I'm a ceramic engineer by trade. Effectively, it's like a material science engineer, but the focus is on ceramics. Okay. So uh, one of the reasons I got into ceramic engineering was it was very, it was very tactile. Uh, there was something that I could point to and show, hey, this is what we did today. This is what we built. This is what we fixed. And yeah, as my career progressed, I went from you know, being solely focused on manufacturing uh, to being involved in everything from customer service to supply chain. And, and what it did was it really, it gave me this holistic view of, hey, when I pull this lever all the way down here, this is what happens all the way over here. So being able to connect the dots and understand, you know, kind of the cause and effect of, hey, if we do this, we get the result we want. If we do that, we get the result that we don't want. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. With inventory related issues at least in the the world that i know or or the experience i've had with them often people are looking for that band-aid and they don't take it all the way back to to the real cause so right. it, it's that repetition of the same mistakes that, that balloon into cash flow shortages and things that hold back your business right so let's Try to give a, a snapshot. I mean, who are you working with most? Uh, like, who who's your target audience? And what, if you've got any uh, two or three high-level, uh, like, w what are your fundamental tips right. or fun practices that, sure. that you try to help? So thank you for asking the question. My primary audience, uh, middle market manufacturers and distributors. So that ranges from... About fifty million in annual revenue, up into about three hundred and fifty million in annual revenue, and in that size business, they're typically big enough where they can have some material problems. Like, hey, we've got twenty million dollars tied up in inventory, like financially material problems, but they may not have the depth of talent or depth of bench to help solve that problem. So I get typically brought in because either the private equity, the CEO, or the CFO, they're feeling pain. Like, hey, our working capital is through the roof. You know, we've got 
uh, really good sales, but the cash is going out as fast as it's coming in. Help us understand why. Help us understand you know, in what ways we can do things differently. Are there any recurring themes or trends, like a, a certain leadership behavior or practice that you see resulting in the shortages? The, so the, the common, there's two. Number one is a lack of process, right? A process to have a process, because a lot of people, oh, we've got a process, we've got a process. To have a process, it needs to be definable, predictable, and repeatable. Definable as in, I can literally draw a picture of the process, mm -hmm. right? A, B, C, D. Predictable is I know what's going to happen next, and repeatable is the same thing happens every single time, right? So number one is typically a lack of process or lack of discipline around a process. And number two, uh, which has become even more and more evident, not only through my, my corporate career, but my own firm, is communication. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, I've got a really funny story about and so Let, let's hear it. So I was uh, I was working with a client. They are out in uh, they're out in Colorado. They were in the enviable position that they could sell every single machine they could build. Uh, six month lead time. So if you ordered it in January, you were going to get it in June. And it was a, a configurable machine in that there was kind of like a base spec, and then they could add add or subtract components that they needed particular to the application. So uh, CEO of the business brought me in and said, hey, we can't figure out how to get more of these through the door. We don't know why it's taking so long. Can you help us figure that out? Sure. So long story short, there would be a, a change order. So let's say you order a, uh, a brand new Tesla. And you order it, black outside, black interior. And two weeks later, you're like, you know what? I want a tan interior. So changing it from black to tan would be a change order. So this business would take the order in, get a change order subsequent to the initial order. And the whole process was getting hung up because the change order wasn't getting communicated to the manufacturing floor. So change order would come in, VP of engineering would approve it. He would put it in a electronic folder and not think of it again. And it could take a day, it could take five days, it could take two weeks before the manufacturing floor became aware of the change. Once they became aware of the change, they would have to unwind all the work that they've done to make that change to rewind the machine. So uh, once we figured that out, it became abundantly clear that the, the biggest disconnect is, is literally communication. So I'm sitting down with the president of the business, right? Spend a week on site, end of the week. President asked me, so, you know, what'd you find? You know, what's broken? What do we need to fix? And I said, really, the, 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 the core is it's, it's communication. And they just laid into me. You can't tell me something that's so pedantic as communication if we communicated better, blah, 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 blah. And I sat there. I'm like, okay. I'm trying to be thoughtful, honest, and direct. Yeah. You know, president finishes dumping their bucket, and I said, okay, are, are, are you good? Can I give you an example of the breakdown of communication? Yeah, okay, good. And I share the example of, you know, the note being put in the electronic folder without anybody picking up the phone or taking a walk. 
it's 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 just a breakdown in communication. So at at the end of the the end of the example, the president says, "I'm really sorry. I'm just I'm 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 frustrated." And I'm like, "It's okay, right? That, that's what I'm here for. It's my job. It's I solve problems. So, in what ways can we identify the problem? And then the biggest thing is, how do we take actions? How do we take actions that are going to stick in solving that problem, keeping it solved?" I can see that reaction coming from a place where he's almost hoping it's more complex. <laughs> it, you give me some, you know, we're bringing somebody in for help to solve our problems. He's going to, you know, put, put together this elaborate, right. you know, reason for why we have these issues. And it could be something simple. It's just a matter of you looking at it from yeah. different angles and right, yeah. having kind of your own process for mm. examining different steps of the breakdown right like that's it it's it's sometimes joe that's all it is is perspective uh one of my my favorite examples of uh you know inventory problems or the root cause of inventory problems is the buyer who gets a bargain hey i bought six months of this raw material and i saved us three percent right and they're running down the hall all excited and then the cfo hears about it and says, our cost to capital is 12%. So that six months worth of inventory you bought, it's actually going to cost us money. So while in isolation, right, the buyer thought they were doing a great job because they got a bargain, but holistically, right. it actually hurt the business. Looking at the picture of all the data or... Well, and that's where, you know, that's where I come in and create value is by bringing that outside perspective, right? A lot of times it's human nature. We're, we're kind of functionally focused. And a lot of what I do is help connect the dots across functions, helping people see, you know, where their piece of the chain is and what we can do differently upstream that'll present the result that we want downstream. When you're in a situation, you see it every single day, you do become blind to certain things. It's normal, mm -hmm. right? You're, you see the things that change, but when something's broken right in your face and somebody new sees it all the time, it's easy to miss it. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? And we talk all the time about leaders having some way to gut check, to get an objective opinion. Mm hmm or perspective uh, sharp, right? Yeah. Just some way to do it. And often it is just an outside party. Uh, unless you have a really good discipline or practice for doing this yourself to look at things through a totally different lens than you normally do. And, you know, that, that was something when I, when I would run stores, like I, I was a general manager and I'd pull my team members to the front of the store and say, for a moment, I need you to really pretend you're a customer. Right. Really pretend this is your first time in here and, and look at things uh, from all the way back instead of the, the narrow purview. And it's really hard to train your brain that way. It is. Uh, you do often just need a different set of eyes to look at it. You hit on, boy, a couple things that I, that I want to open up further in this I think are relevant for our conversation. You talked about being kind, honest, and direct, right? And there are some things around uh, process, 
and communication. And discipline was another one right. that you threw in there. And boy, I, what do you know about EOS and the entrepreneurial operating system? Uh, like I, we talked a little bit about it, right? Uh, and surely process discipline, these things can come from all sources, but through our connection, Kimberly, you know, mm. she's a EOS implementer. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Kimberly. Yes. Uh, as am I, as am I. So, uh, are you privy to, do you have any experience with, uh, anything, even if you feel like you're maybe not operating on EOS, but you've pulled something from it. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on EOS? Because it seems like it's in line with where your head's at and some of the things that you're looking for. So if we go uh, a little bit further back in my career, my time with GE, I learned a ton. And GE uh, was very process focused, very, very metrics driven, and very good at holding people accountable, at least in the business unit that I was in. And then, you know, Fast forward a little bit, and I had the opportunity. Uh, I was VP of Ops for a uh, a family office, a privately held business, and that business operated on EOS. So I had the uh, right the, the 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 pleasure, the privilege of being able to work in a business that operated under EOS. And there are a lot of parallels and similarities to like GE where it's very process focused, like EOS itself is a process, right? It's an mm -hmm. operating system. It's how we run the business. And having accountabilities very, very clearly defined, understanding, hey, here are my rocks, right? Here are the big things that I'm going to work on. And having that communication across the leadership of the business. So we, we're all aware of what each other's rocks are. Right. And yeah. operations, here were my rocks. Engineering, their rocks. Finance, their rocks. And we we saw how, you know, through the lens of EOS, they all connected. Right. So Scott, he was my CFO. If Scott was running into an issue, it's like, okay, well, operationally, what can I do to help solve that issue or at least work with you on solving that issue? So, you know, having having that framework of EOS on top of the GE experience really helped kind of coalesce some of the, the fundamentals of how I run my business in terms of, you know, when I'm working with a client, right, typically it starts with a specific problem, right? It's well-defined, uh, understanding who's uh, accountable to help solve that problem. What are the metrics, right? If it's not measurable, I can't prove it's been fixed. Yep. So where did we start? Where did we end up? And uh, it's it's been having that uh, EOS experience kind of in my repertoire has definitely been a plus. Yeah. It being a, something I was more recently introduced to, surely it wasn't the first or last time that I had exposure to or reference of some of these different simple tools. Mm -hmm. And it, by no means did EOS create a how to document a process, right? In its uh, original form or anything like right. that. But I think the elegance is in the collection of and simplification of these different systems, processes, and tools mm -hmm. uh, to give common language, right. to, uh, to get everyone rowing together, uh, which it sounds like, like whether you're utilizing EOS as an operating system or not, right? There's things you can pluck from it and that it may remind you very closely of something you're already doing you learned somewhere else, right? right? 
Uh, but there, there's absolutely something to it. I'm glad to hear you had a great experience with it too. Very good. Let's, you, you told us a little bit further back now uh, with GE. At some point, there was a switch to a little more entrepreneurial focus for you, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. did it start with the M. Ryan Group? Uh, or did you, did you have a business when you were younger? W when was your first kind of step into being an entrepreneur? So my first step... Uh, I, I'd love to say it was it was more, uh, you know, extraordinary, but I got fired. I got fired. The business I had been uh, working for, they had three products, basically three products in their portfolio. One, they made double-digit margin, carried the business. One was low single-digit margin, and one basically broke even. Uh, there was a, a change in the kind of macro conditions, right? The oil and gas bubble popped. And the one segment of the business that was carrying the other two basically collapsed. So uh, I found myself looking around and saying, okay, I, I need to go find something new to do. And uh, I, had, I had built up a network in Northeast Ohio and I started reaching out to people. And uh, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, there's this firm out west. We've used them a whole bunch. It's a consulting firm. Uh, you know, maybe they're aware, have some visibility into like another VP ops or VP of supply chain type job. I'm like, okay, great. So having a whole bunch of conversations, uh, had a conversation with a guy from the consulting firm, and we just clicked on the phone. And he says, hey, I've got a project. It's in St. Louis. It's right in your wheelhouse. What do you think about working on a project? And I'm like, I'm a simple man. I've got a wife and four children who like being fed and housed. So sure, right? Yeah. I'll work a project. And, uh, it, it, and Joe, I had an absolute blast because it, it was operational in nature. Uh, and I realized, I'm like, wow, I, I, I've learned a lot more than I thought I have. So one project became two, two projects became three. And uh, my wife and I were having a conversation and said, you know what, I can, I can do this. I need to figure out a niche mm -hmm. uh, and I can, I can do this. And that was the, that was the genesis of the MRI. It's exciting. Yeah. It's a cool story. Thank and you. I think we need that push to do something that's, we're maybe meant to do or very yeah. capable of doing that will get a higher level of satisfaction out of. And I love that you yeah. had that realization of, well, I, I had acquired uh, a very particular set of skills, yes, or a, a yes. broadly used uh, <laughs> set of skills yeah. uh, that applied to many different businesses mm -hmm. and industries. But until you were in a situation where you're just figuring it out and solving the problem, right? You, didn't necessarily connect that, no, right? Like, it, had you thought about doing something on your own before that? I hadn't. I hadn't. And it wasn't until I worked those first three gigs, in effect, where, like, the, the big spark or the big two dots that got connected was I can help more than one business at a time, right? So if I'm working for GE, I'm working for GE. If I'm working for Goodyear, I'm working for Goodyear. But now I have the ability to help multiple clients in the span of a year. And that for me is like, like I can help more people. Don't you too feel like you can help those people more because of the seeing what's happening with 
other companies like exposure yeah. to working with many different clients then you can start to detect patterns you can start to we just get smarter and more specialized oh, yeah in what that area is like i had a very similar feeling when joining culture shock because i i done it for at most at a holdings company i was working with like three different subsidiaries right, right? so but they're still all interconnected in some mm -hmm. way Primarily, it's for one organization. And yeah, the, the speed of it, the uh, kind of time in between when you are needed for that specific skill and all that stuff. I mean, we stayed busy, I'm sure, both right. of us are working at our respective companies. But boy, there, there is something to be said about uh, how not only fresh and reinvigorating it is to work with a number of different wow. clients, but how I think it makes you better. There's no question. And I mean, what I've learned is that I have the most fun when I'm working with people who want to be helped. Uh, I've had uh, a couple of situations where, uh, you know, maybe it was the board or the PE that said, bring Mike Ryan in. Yeah. And I go in there and I'm like, hey, this is awesome. Right. Here's some things you can do differently. And in effect, it's like, ah, no, thanks. I'm good. And I'm like, I don't, okay. <laughs> like, I, I want to feel like I'm creating value and, and earning my keep. So uh, if you don't want help, help. Don't want to pull your teeth, right? Yeah. It's, that that is one of the qualifiers for, for us as well. Like with a coaching client, do you want it? Right. Do you want to grow, mm -hmm. change? You You have to have that desire otherwise it, it does take the fun out of it. it it does uh it makes it a lot harder no sometimes overcoming that challenge and having somebody who initially was kind of blowing you off right. and then is like wow that was that was great really helped us all right there's some satisfaction that comes it, with that as well but there is most it, often I, I imagine you're the same though if you if you find somebody is like half in and they're just not all in. Yeah. It, you're probably not going to work together, right? No, like, it, and it, and it's not a one-time event. It's, you know, hey, I'll I'll put an idea out there. I'll say, hey, have you ever looked at it like this? Or have you ever tried this? Oh, it didn't work? Okay, well, why? What would you have done differently? And if that spark is there and the engagement's there, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll keep working together. But yeah. if it's uh, if it's a dud, it's, it's a dud. Well, so you're not going to get the follow through no. that, you know, is needed. Right. So even if you give it your absolute freaking best, if, if the if value it, you're able to offer is limited by who you're offering it. to, right? And that's where I mean, the I've had the most success with clients where I'm brought in to solve a specific problem or a specific issue. Right. We solve it. We put a ball on it. And then it's, hey, can you help us with this? Can you help us with this? And there are some things it's like, absolutely, I can help with, or, hey, this isn't my sweet spot, but I've got a trusted advisor that I can pull in where this is their sweet spot. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, I'm all about creating value. I want to create the most value for a business that I can. And right, if I'm the right person, great. If I'm not the right person, but I can help them find the right person, I'm happy to do that. Right. I'll do that all day, every day. Yep. Yeah. Same page. So we know how you kind of stepped into being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That's a storm if I've ever heard one, right? <laughs> we talk all the time about 
charging into the uncomfortable, doing the things that you know are going to lead to a better outcome, even if they're painful. When you all of a sudden are a provider, a husband, father, Mm -hmm. and without job, I would imagine the seemingly more comfortable path would have been getting another salary somewhere, uh, or that in some ways could have been easier or less painful, less risk. Right. Like what gave you the courage? What what really gave you that push uh, to to charge into the storm? And then I, I want to talk about some other storms, too. That yeah. you may have found so, I mean, one thing I've learned is. Well, quite frankly, that a lot of the corporate jobs I've had. There's implied security, but there's no real security. So if I want to create that security. Yes, I'm going to increase the risk, but uh, I have the ability to create that security myself. And uh, it's, yeah, there, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there were times the first couple of years where I asked myself that question of, do I really want to keep doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having my wife, Jessica, support me. I've got four kids that have been they always ask good questions and they're always supportive. And, you know, for me, uh, getting to the point where right, it's not completely dependent on a client uh, has, has helped me create that security. So no doubt. It's, uh, it's been very, very rewarding. And uh, to me, it's fun. Anytime I can help make uh, a, a, a business owner or CEO or PE's life a little bit better, I'm happy to do it. The realization you had about security is a profound one that I don't think many realize until they've lived it, right? If they've gone through multiple layoffs or what have you, it can affect any level of the organization. Uh, I I thought I'd retire from Sony Electronics. It's been early part of my career there. It was an uphill, upward trajectory. And it was like, I I love it. I bleed, you know, Sony. (laughs) Uh, this is where I'll be. I was a little spoiled watching the sunset from the office in San Diego. You know, so <laughs> there are plenty of reasons for it, but that wasn't a reality. I don't think it is for many that you're going to start and stay with an organization that long. So it, there's going to be peaks and valleys when Absolutely. it comes to working with larger companies. Yep. And if you have that itch, that desire, or you realize you can do something. Uh, you, you have a, a value to share uh, mm-hmm. with others, you know, at least consider it. Uh, I agree. I mean, I remember when I went to work for GE, I loved it. I mean, I was learning from day one. And uh, this is at the tail end of the Jack Welch era where it was, you know, you're number one, number two, or get out. And our business was facing competition from the Russians and the Chinese and, you know, really nice double-digit margins started to shrink and uh, the decision was made to sell the business. And, you know, when I started with GE, I thought I had a runway 500 miles long and here I am three, three and a half years in and that runway's gone. Part of the terms of the deal were nobody in the business could go back to GE for three years. So I had a choice, you know, do I stick with this and try to work my way back into GE, or do I go in a different direction and and you know kind of take fate into my own hands? And I decided to take fate into my own hands. Made the move. Love it. Glad 
Yeah. We're sitting here talking today. Amen. Right? You've probably done uh, some great work. I- I'm guessing there's some overlap in our uh, clients and networks as well, surely, uh, but especially between the rest of the team, oh, here at Culture absolutely. Shock and yeah. such. But what about other storms? Uh, I-, I am a big believer that yeah. when people can relate to someone else <laughs> charging into a difficult situation, yeah. it gives them courage as well. Are there other things throughout your career that you've identified as an obstacle or an opportunity, an issue, something that you knew it would be easier to turn away from, but your body told you and you trusted it just to to deal with it head on, to charge it? So uh, one of my favorite stories, Joe. So when I I first decided to launch the very creatively named M. Ryan Group, right? When I first decided to launch the business, I spent probably the first two months all back office. Like now I know it's back office, but back then I just thought it was what I was supposed to do. I got a logo, I built a website, you know, I put like some materials together and uh, there was a manufacturing technology show in Cleveland and I'm like, ooh, I need to get a shirt. I need to get a shirt. So I went on Vistaprint, I uploaded my logo, I got a, a like a, a, a golf polo shirt with my logo on it, and I'm sitting outside with my wife because I'm tracking it, right? Like, when's the post office going to come? Out for delivery. And uh, mailman comes, I tear the package up, I'm holding the shirt up all proud, right? I'm just like, I feel like a million bucks. And uh, Jessica looks at me and says, you're the best prepared consultant who has no work. You need to learn how to sell. She's right, right? That 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 that's the storm. I need to learn how to sell. So I called up uh, a friend of mine, Matt, who had been in sales for 25 years. I said, Matt, will you teach me how to sell? He says, Mike, you know how to sell. I'm like, I don't know how to sell. It's like, let's 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 go have lunch. And we sit down, and he says, You know how to sell. I'm like, Matt, I don't know how to sell. Because selling is about building relationships. Mike, you know how to build relationships. I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes, now there's some mechanics, right? You have to do what you say you're going to do. You have to follow up. Um, but at, at the core, sales is about building relationships. Yeah. And that, for me, was the realization of, okay, I need to lean into this. I need to... Uh, deepen existing relationships, create new relationships, and ultimately help people understand in what ways I can be of service. And uh, that really, I'd say, was one of the first real storms that I faced and leaned into to say, hey, if I want to be successful, right, if I want to keep uh, my wife and our kids warm, safe, dry, and fed, right? I, this is a storm I need to lean into and I need to, uh, I need to push through. And focus on that aspect, right? Uh, Boy, when you're describing the, the logo, <laughs> the, the building, the that's exciting stuff. And I, I, I've heard that before. I've lived it as well. Yeah. It's easy to go towards those things. And while they might feel right in the moment and at some point are necessary right. recognizing that get out there and and talk to yeah is one of the most immediate storms you need to address as an entrepreneur as mm-hmm. a new business owner 
pick up the phone, do the uncomfortable thing and uh, just go learn and mess up yep. and, and forge some connections, ask some questions. Like when I got started, that, that was something uh, Ron, our, our founders, like just talk to the people, you know, and say like, hey, can I get your, your feedback on mm. this? Like, what, what would you do in this situation? Yeah. Uh, and what, uh, what do you think about kind of how we're offering this and, and really just talking to people that the more you do that, the more things start to naturally come. Yeah. You said that before today, you gave a quick listen to, uh, the episode where we had Ken Coleman. I did. And one of the sentiments he says, believe in yourself. Yeah. And that story about the storm you charged into that realizing, you know how to sell, you know how to forge relationships. <laughs> We so often make things more complicated than they are. Yes. And don't have that sense of like, yeah, we can do anything. We can yeah, figure this out. We can figure until it out. Until somebody else tells us. Yeah. So it's it's great when we can also be that person for someone else, like peak leadership yes. sort of experience. What was yours that you received? Like, how did you get the values that you have as a leader? Uh, you know, things that have been characteristics or things you've, you've made an effort to maintain mm -hmm. when leading teams over the years. Like, was there a mentor that you had? Was there somebody in your life that you saw as a peak leadership experience that you still strive to emulate today? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been I've been very, very fortunate in that, you know, throughout my career, whether I was working for, you know, a publicly traded company or, you know, as the M. Ryan group. There's been people who have helped me and guided me along the way. Uh, thinking back to GE, there was a guy named Bill Brown. Uh, we used to joke that he was the Terminator, where like he would fire his own mother. And uh, I ran into a situation where the area I was responsible for, I had somebody I had to discipline. Uh, not a bad person, but they just were not getting the job done in the way that it needed to be done. And I was hemming and hawing about it. And I went and I saw Bill. And he looked at me and he says, Mike, right now the burden is on your shoulders, right? You're carrying around this person's problem. Get it off your shoulders. It doesn't belong on your shoulders. It belongs on their shoulders. And it may be painful for a minute, right? Having that difficult conversation. But when you walk away from that conversation, he's like, I promise you, you will feel better. And uh, he was right, right? Because it really wasn't my burden to carry. Right. I needed to let somebody know that, hey, the way you've been doing things aren't acceptable, and here's what you need to do differently. So uh, that was, I would say, uh, you know, kind of a, a pivotal role. And then uh, really the last six or seven years, there's a, a guy here in town, Jim Mara. Uh, he's always been very generous with his time and I remember in the beginning as I was putting together kind of my first case study, uh, and I had known Jim just a little bit at this point. I, you know, I did the uncomfortable thing. I picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, Jim, like, will you take a look at this for me? And God bless him. He spent the next hour like tearing this down and building it back up. And I was, I was like, so, I mean, number one, just how thoughtful he was. Mm -hmm. And number two, like that he would share his time like that. So, you know, fast forward a week or so, and I'm like, hey, I want to take you to lunch just as a thank you, and I want to show you the finished product. 
and uh, I had done some graphic design work on it. I put it in front of Jim and he's like, yeah, it looks like you made this on your printer at home. He's like, go spend a couple bucks, get a graphic designer. And, and that was exactly what I needed to hear, right? So Jim was thoughtful, kind, direct, and said, hey, listen, Mike, the content is great, right? Because he helped me polish up the content, but it doesn't present as well as it can. So, you know, having people uh, like that, that, uh, you know, I can, I can ask for, you know, direct feedback uh, is, is tremendously valuable, tremendously valuable. That uh, aligns so closely with what we talk about. Like when you came in, have an emerging leader group mm -hmm. in a workshop today. Yeah. Uh, it was day two of uh, a kickoff around communication and being direct should be seen as kind. Now, you can do it in an unkind way. You can do it in a very <laughs> aggressive or yeah. uh, kind of an asshole tone about you when, right. when being direct, but there's a way to do both Absolutely. Right? or, or to, to be all three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there, are there any other things that you would say are the most important characteristics to you in a leader, right? So we, we've got the directness, we've got the kindness, yeah. uh, we, we've talked about communicating openly mm -hmm. and transparency. What, what else comes to mind? As so, so the other thing that comes to mind is helping people connect the dots. So I had worked for a man named Philip Kane when I was at Goodyear. Philip is one of the most thoughtful and intelligent people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And you know, we'd be in a meeting, and my role at the time was to help forecast sales, project sales into the future, and take in a lot of the external marketplace and industry conditions and, and basically synthesize and put it all together. And, you know, we're in a meeting and I kind of stated the assumptions and I stated the conclusion, right? We're going to do this. And, well, funny, I mean, it was kind of like the most violently passive disagreement where nobody said anything. And I'm like, okay, this isn't, I'm like, something's, I, I'm missing something. So after the meeting, you know, I go, I knock on Philip's door and I said, hey, Philip, I'm like, can you help me understand what happened in there or what I need to do differently. And he explained to me that I was taking too big of a leap of logic, right? So for me, because I was neck deep in it, I could see how A connected to B to C to D all the way to the end. But when I presented it, it was here's the start, here's the finish, right? And then there's some magic in the middle. And Philip explained to me like, hey, walk people through your thought process people through how you got to the conclusion and bring them along with you, right? Invite the conversation. And he goes, over time, right, we'll get to a point where people say, all right, just cut to the chase, right? What's the conclusion? But it'll be because I've helped connect the dots and help bring people along and understanding the thought process that created the outcome. So for that, you know, I am forever grateful, uh, to Philip because it's helped me, I mean, to this very day, yeah. right? I can walk in, I can hear, a, you know, a, an inventory symptom or a operation symptom and have a decent idea of what's causing it. 
And what I need to do is remember that, hey, I need to bring people from the initial observation along with me to the conclusion. Yeah. Because if I just present the conclusion, 50-50, it's just going gonna, gonna to fall flat. So being able to connect the dots and help people to understand how to connect the dots has proven very, very valuable uh, in what I've been doing. That's a good one. I, I think it's missed quite often where there's so many assumptions that, mm -hmm. that we make as leaders and or just for the sake of brevity or feeling like they don't need to know this, <laughs> it's omitted. Right. And w in studies we've done and in research that we've consumed, it's like we see this repeating trend and it's that the level of engagement of your workforce is in a lot of ways directly tied to their sense of belonging and involvement. Right. People need to understand the why. Mm -hmm. If you want real buy-in and alignment, credibility, you kind of got to explain the thought process yeah. and help them think for themselves, right? So that that way next time they can also adopt that same thought process. Right. And it, it shows care that you mm -hmm. care enough and you have enough respect and appreciation for that human to not just say, oh, yeah, this is the answer and that's what it is, right? But to, to help them understand, I think that is a really important yeah. characteristic. It is. And what I've learned is I can always explain more. So I may start out, and, and part of this is dependent to the audience that with I'm speaking, uh, kind of the degree of how much do you want to know how the sausage is made, Yeah. right? Some people, hey, what does it taste like? What does it look like? Other people are like, how much fennel seed are you putting into mm -hmm. the mix? So, so part of it is understanding the audience that I'm interacting with and being open to saying, hey, right, we're going to go A, J, Z. Now, I'm happy to explain A to J or J to Z. Right. You, you tell me to what level of detail you want me to go. That's just some some EQ, emotional awareness <laughs> stuff. Like you read the room. Yeah. If you don't know, ask. Yeah. Right? What level of detail would you like me to explain this in? Because sometimes I, I've also uh, fell into the trap of the latter, right? Mm -hmm. Where I talk too fast. I give way too much information. I, I realize halfway through, this person was hoping I'd say eight words and I've said 800. Right. Right. So it just being able to understand who you're talking yeah. to, right? And yeah. adjust a little bit if you mess you realize you messed up. Oh, and, <laughs> like, and Joe, I do that all the time where I'm having a conversation, somebody asks a question, I start to give an answer, maybe I get it on a little of a roll or a little of a tear, and I'll stop myself. I said, Okay, did I answer your question? Right, just to make sure that right, I didn't babble too much. Really, most importantly, hey, you had a question. Did I answer it? And if not, okay, maybe I can try coming at it a little bit differently or a little bit more concise or a little bit more lengthy depending on uh, you know, who the person is and what the information is that they're looking for. In that example and in the meeting where there was almost that aggressive or passive <laughs> aggressiveness uh, or what, what did you yeah. say? Is something violent, we, passive? Yeah, yeah, violently uh, passive. Artificial harmony, yeah. right? right? It's 
when you were detected that and we're like, ah, I, I'm going to dig further. I'm mm -hmm. going to clarify or confirm understanding, right? Instead right. of assuming because miscommunication happens all the time. And then all people the just time. go on about their ways with that belief now that right. it was truth or that they fully understood it without just asking. And I think it's because we're, we're afraid to look dumb. We're afraid yeah. of repercussion. We're afraid... It, it comes from fear in some way, right? It, it does. And I think now more than ever where there's a lot more interaction on a screen uh, as opposed to like this face-to-face, -face, sometimes the cues are harder to pick up. Yeah. So I uh, had uh, a month and a half ago was doing a, a training session for a client. There was 12 people on the call and I make it a point to stop. And okay, and I'll say something like, "Okay, everybody's still awake. I haven't put anybody to sleep." And my my standard shtick is, "Listen, I can talk for thirty minutes on a single breath and put you all to sleep. I would much rather engage in a dialogue and a conversation than me just talk at you for thirty minutes. So please, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, stories, examples. Let's talk about that. I'd much rather have a." a dialogue than just drone on for 30 minutes. It's no fun. I self-coach myself on that, right? And ask for accountability from my team members too, because I think there's such value in being more curiosity-led. Mm -hmm. And something we were just talking about with the group in there was being more interested than interesting. Yeah. Right? Just asking more questions and facilitating that dialogue. Right instead of railroading through well and that's a lot of a lot of what i do is i start with symptoms right somebody tells me a pain they are feeling whether it's cash flow or you know a vendor that they're having problems with like i start with the pain right? i start with ultimately what are symptoms of the problem and it's asking a lot of questions to help understand okay th there's a path there there's a thread you know, how do we work that thread? Uh, and more times than not, it's it's just by asking questions. And, and <laughs> what I've coached myself on is, okay, I'm going to ask a question and then I'm going to listen, right? I'm not going to think about what I'm going to say next or wait for my turn to talk. It's I asked a question, right? They're going to share the information. Now I need to listen. I didn't cue you up for this or anything, but it's crazy. Just the conversations I was in this morning to right now, because yeah. there's this uh, Pete Hansberger, my colleague, did this just listen exercise to listen to somebody for three minutes, tell a story. You're not allowed to ask follow up questions, make statements or anything. All you can do is respond nonverbally. Okay. Because we so often listen to respond instead of listen to comprehend to that right. exact point. Right. And in the, the sort of work you do, I, I imagine you need to accurately comprehend and gather that information to offer a heartfelt or a, a sound recommendation yeah. for a path forward, right? When, when you have connected with a new client, gone through that discovery phase, gotten to know, and 
realize like, oh, I've <laughs> right. I'm sure there's some that stand out. What what are some of the wins oh. that that come to mind? Are, are there and you can omit whatever details no, you need no. to, but you know, it for any of those who maybe do have their yeah. own issue and you know, I'm not trying to create a commercial to say, this too could be you. We saved you X amount of dollars, but just really with this sort of work you do, it's gotta be exciting yeah. when you are able to successfully guide somebody yeah. towards a major win. What are some of the ones that come to mind? So so the first one that comes to mind, Joe, uh, have a client and uh, I had known the CEO for a number of years and really met him when I was first starting my journey. And you know, it was maybe two, two and a half years later from that first meeting, he says, okay, Mike, I think we finally need your help. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, how can I help? And he says, hey, our fill rates, you know, the, the really first part of COVID, our fill rates were really, really high. We had 94, 95% fill rates. What that means is 94, 95 times out of 100, somebody calls up and we have the product in stock and mm -hmm. inventory. So our fill rates are really, really high. And the last three months, our fill rates have fallen to the 60s. And we have some very, very unhappy customers. And we can't figure it out. We don't know why. So, okay. So uh, this is in Northeast Georgia. So I set up, uh, I, I set up a trip. Plan to be on site for four days, kickoff meeting, uh, you know, have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the leadership to really get a sense of how things are working and you know, start to dig into the root cause or dig into identify the root cause. So have the kickoff meeting, right? It's early Monday morning, have the kickoff meeting. Uh, I always start with sales, Just talking with the salesperson, the VP of sales, and they're like, hey, our customers, they hate us. Right. We used to be their number one call and now they hate us because we don't have the product. I'm like, okay. A couple hours later, I'm sitting with the, the VP of supply chain and I'm like, tell me about your process. Like, how do you forecast demand? And he goes into this like really big, long song and dance. And I said, okay, well, how often do you update your forecast? Once a month. I'm like, okay. And he's showing me this like 80 meg spreadsheet that he, used and i'm like oh how long does it take to update the spreadsheet he's like six weeks I'm like okay so that's not a monthly cycle so towards the end of the conversation it dawns on me i'm like this this guy's working in a vacuum he's not talking to anybody so i asked the question how often do you talk with the vp of sales and he looks at me and he's like what do you mean i'm like how often do you either sit down with or on the phone like, how often are you and the VP of sales talking? And he's like, I don't know, once in a while. And I'm like, is that once a week? Is it once a month? And he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe once every five or six weeks. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, in speaking with the VP of sales, their sales first quarter of the, that year versus the prior year, they were up 22% year over year, like phenomenal sales growth, phenomenal sales growth. So I asked the VP of supply chain, how much more are you buying first quarter this year compared to first quarter last year? And this like big, long song and dance, I'm like, just give me a number. Yeah. I'm like, how much more are you buying? And he's like, clickety clack, uh, 6%. 
okay, I like I know what the problem is, right? He's selling twenty two percent more. You're only buying six percent more. So David, the the CEO, we had a lunch set up for that first day, kind of like a pulse check. And uh, we sit down for lunch, and he's like, "Hey, Mike, how's it going?" I'm like, "Well, David, I've got some I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news." I'm like, "What do you want to hear first? And he goes, "All right, give me the bad news first." I'm like, "Okay, well." Bad news is I figured it out, right? Sales and supply chain are not talking. He's like, why is that bad news? I'm like, because I didn't think it'd take me four hours to figure it out. I thought it was going to take me days to figure out. So it's like, that's kind of bad news. He's like, well, what's the good news? I'm like, we have three and a half days to put another order together, right? You will have a, a, a restocking order that will meet the needs of sales in place before I leave on Thursday. That's the good news. And he's like, okay. No doubt. But it was just one of those things, you know, having the conversations, asking the right questions, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, these two guys aren't talking to one another. And what they're selling is far far outweighs what the supply chain guy is buying. I'm like, that's I'm like we can fix this. <laughs> we we can absolutely fix this. Right. Oh. You picked up on that pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah. It is funny how so often things come back to these simple opportunity areas. Yeah. Trust, vacation, accountability. No matter how established or, or proven or, or profitable a company has been, when there's dysfunction, when there's breakdown, it, yeah. it's often uh, in some way one of these areas. It, it is. And I mean... More often than not, it's people who are trying to be functionally excellent or excellent in their function and not having that full scope view of, hey, where am I, you know, what's my piece of the puzzle and how does my piece of the puzzle shape the outcomes for the full puzzle itself? That, that's a huge facet of... Where, where I think EOS wins or, or, or has added value for me. And I, I've seen it with so many others. I talked about those studies around engagement, people being involved, there being that open, transparent yeah. communication and their connection, somebody's connection to their own contributions to the common goal yeah. is such a critical piece. Cause otherwise, you know, it seems like the company's working towards this, vision this mission and i'm working on this little side project that you know i'm told is important but doesn't seem like it marries up to what's being shared in town halls and all that stuff like people need to see how their part does make a difference in what the company is trying to accomplish as a whole and another thing that seems so simple but that is often missed like just Getting back to these fundamentals, right? Yeah. What about when it's not so simple? So has there been a time where you had to, like your recommendation was towards something painful, towards something difficult, towards, <laughs> you know, when we talk about storms, you, you shared yours. What about with clients where you've maybe given them that courage or at least the knowledge needed to charge into something that was a little more difficult? Yeah, so it's... You know, one that sticks out in my mind uh, is 
where I gave the client the information to face the storm, but ultimately they didn't face the storm uh, in that uh, they had an operation, they had all the inventory they ever needed. They literally could not get the product out the door, couldn't get the product out the door and spent some time in the operation and I'm watching and I'm seeing, you know, if you stood in, a, in an aisle in this operation, you'd see either a forklift that was waiting for a person to move or a person waiting for a forklift to move. They had too many people. That was the way that they had decided to solve their throughput problem was by hiring a bunch of uh, temp workers. And I sat down and I said, hey, you don't actually need more people. You need less people. You need to separate these two activities, you know, the replenishment, that's where they're unloading trucks and yep. the picking where they're picking orders. Like you need to separate these two activities and you need fewer people. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not. And I kind of kind of bit my tongue. I'm like, all right, well, let's let's get some data. Let's see how this plays out. And over the, the next 30 days, they spent $80,000 more in temps than they had the prior month, right? They actually brought more people in. Like after I said you need less people, they brought more people in. So over the course of that month, they spent $80,000 more in temp labor. They got an extra $11,000 out the door. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, a that's not sustainable, right? You're spending 80 to get 11. I'm like, that's not going to work. So I came at it a little bit differently, right? Spent a little bit more time kind of, hey, this is why you need to separate these operations out. This is why, uh, you know, these areas need to be staffed differently and staffed with fewer people. Uh, and they just, they couldn't accept it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I want you guys to be successful. I wish you all the best, but um, I'm going to go someplace else. I'm happy to take your money as long as I'm creating value. And if you won't take the actions to create that value, then uh, I wish you all the best. Yeah. And, and for me, that was uh, really the, the first time uh, in my own firm that I had to face that storm of, hey, there's some clients that I can see, I can see, I can visualize how much more productive, how much more profitable, how much more efficient they're going to be, but they, they they're stuck. They're stuck. And, you know, it's not just like, hey, knock on the door once and walk away. It's, hey, I'm going to come at this two, three, four different ways. And if after all the different angles and all the different approaches, it's still not landing or the case isn't clicking, I can't help. So. Got to know when to move on. Yeah. And that happened to be the storm they were facing too. Like people issues shouldn't be taken lightly because of all that's at stake for yeah. the humans. And that's why, you know, when we were talking about this before we started, growing businesses, doing so in an intelligent way, in a, in a conscientious way, right? instead of just hiring a bunch of full-time <laughs> employees and then letting them go when you pivot, no. right? Like yeah. it, pulling different levers at different times through your growth. But at the same point in time, when you do recognize a barrier to your future is a mistake you made in hiring because your processes weren't simplified enough, because you didn't understand it well enough, 
So you just threw people at the issue and hired them. Right. And then that failure to move on from that, <laughs> while I, sure it can be admirable that, you know, those people didn't lose their jobs, it could ultimately lead to everyone in your organization losing their jobs when you won't do the difficult thing, yeah. right? Like that's where uh, it, you, you have to look more big picture and full scope to understand the, the detriment that, right. that it could cause too. Uh, but people issues are a tough one. That's the number one storm. Like moving on. They are. Not, not moving on. Addressing things. Uh, communicating more openly. Telling people that there's an issue. <laughs> hey, we like, need to try. And, and that and that's the fun part. Like when there is a, like a people storm and you, you line up and you face the storm together and you come through it, you always come through it stronger. Yeah. Right? Like, hey we have a, a common challenge that we're going to align and focus on right and we're going to we're going to do this together right so it's not the weight of this problem is on one person or two people but it's the idea many hands make for light work right okay so i need to let everybody know what's going on and as we make these changes help bring them along i mean a lot of the work i do really is in helping businesses plan differently there's a lot of businesses that plan by looking in the rearview mirror. Hey, I'm going to use the last three months to determine what I'm going to buy for the next three months. Uh, and, you know, you can drive a car looking in the rearview mirror, but just not for long and for very far. Right. So how do we how do we face forward, look further out to say, hey, I need to look at the next three months, six months, nine months. And as I start to look further out in the horizon, it gives me other things that I need to think about. And how do we uh, explain, you know, number one, the why, right? Why are we shifting from a backward view to a forward view? And, you know, what are the people, process, and technology that we need to help us successfully not only look forward, but continually update that view so you know, from one month to the next, as something changes in the marketplace or the customer base or the supplier base, hey, we can we can adjust our horizon to take that into account, right? So if I see a bump in the road six months down the down the way, I've got five months to fix it, right? Right? And if I get to month six and I haven't done anything, well, shame on me. But that's that's the idea. Is you know, as I work with businesses to look at things a little bit differently, maybe consider things that they hadn't looked at before. It's helping people understand, okay, here's here's why we're doing this. Here's what the outcome we want to create or achieve is. And then depending on, you know, the person and the space they are in the organization, you know, how far into the how we get uh, to help them be uh, effective in their role. It sounded like there was a fairly large change management component to, to what you're doing and you can guide people to the right information, <laughs> the right processes, but also helping look forward and break some of those stuck, you know, tendencies to be stuck in their ways. And we talked about the people issues, how it's hard to let go of people. I imagine it's hard for some to let go of product or inventory. Oh, Our sure. Conversation before was that, perceived need for the model that's two or three years old, even though there's been a replacement because right. there's still sales of that. Let's really open this up and talk like 
say you've got up and comers in supply chain or sales and operations planning. I know you're a help first sort of guy. So like drop some, any sort of wisdom you can share that is uh, how you look at things or uh, what you realize people need to embrace in changing to have a, a better balance, a, a smarter uh, allocation of spend in their inventory, right? Like any of that stuff that you want to lay out there. Uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is it's always exciting to bring a new product to market, right? It's new. It's exciting. People are jazzed to sell it. Uh, it's kind of unexciting and boring to take care of the older stuff and being mindful of, hey, for every product I bring in, maybe I take an older product out. You know, the idea of, of skew proliferation or portfolio proliferation, that is one of the biggest contributors to long-term inventory growth mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's easy to bring something new. It's harder to kill off an old product. Right. And the easiest way to deal with it is to not deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, there's these businesses that have these long, I call it the long tail, right? Hey, our, we used to have a thousand items in our portfolio. Uh, and now 10 years later, we've got 15,000 items and we're still selling stuff or still have inventory. I'm going to make the distinction there. Uh, we still have inventory from 15 years ago, but we're probably not still selling. Yeah. So number one is being mindful of, hey, as you bring something in, looking long and hard at, do I need to take something out? And you know, the other part is especially, you know, over the last three years, everybody in manufacturing and distribution has seen such huge swings where 2020, 2021, people were clamoring. I can't get enough product. I can't get inventory. My lead times went from six weeks to six months. And now kind of the inverse has happened where I've got more product than I know what to do with. You know, how do I work through the inventory I have? How do I plan differently looking forward? So it, it, I think part of it is having the conversations around, hey, yeah, this is the new and exciting stuff, but we also have this pile of kind of old boring stuff. Can you sell that? Yeah. Can, can we put at least create the visibility that it's there? Um, you know, I, I've got, uh, uh, a client who they were making some charitable donations, like hard goods donations to help, you know, support the fires in Hawaii and, uh, you know, talking with the VP of product management, they do a lot of, uh, safety equipment. He's like, Hey, can we look at the excess and obsolete? to see if there's any product that we have that's still good, but could be useful in this disaster situation. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea, right? Number one, we're helping somebody out, right? We're helping somebody in the community. And number two, uh, it helps lighten the burden of the inventory. So, yeah. you know, figuring out how do we create visibility to products that aren't moving uh, so we can turn those back into cash and really help keep the lifeblood of the business flowing. I imagine that outside of just the planning teams and those directly involved with inventory, the visibility to, to that stuff getting communicated to frontline, to workforce yeah. is big. Anything else that like from a leader purview, like say 
you you inherit a business or you step in and the M Ryan group diversifies and all of a sudden you you own a manufacturing business that has some major uh major issues what are some of the things that leaders can do with their larger workforce outside of just the those directly responsible for or involved with inventory yeah. that will make them a better operation so thank you for asking the question inventory is an output it's the result of the balance or imbalance between supply and demand so where there's an inventory problem reality is nine times out of ten it's an issue upstream it's a sales problem it's a purchasing problem it's an operations problem so working back upstream to understand hey sales right i need a number you know if you tell me you're going to sell 50 right i expect you to sell 50 plus or minus two or three don't tell me 50 and sell 100 right because that's going to create problems yeah, don't tell me if, right accurate forecast but the thing is if sales tells me 100 and i either build or buy 100 but they only sell 60 now i got a problem because i have cash that's literally frozen in inventory so having sales operations and finance is a huge part of this right they're kind of like the unsung underlying thread having the business and everybody in the business understand kind of, hey, here's here's the current state. Here's where we are, for better or for worse. It's, you know, that interplay between sales and operations or operations and supply chain that helps really either improve the level of performance or depress the level of performance, right? Because, you know, uh, I work with a guy JR, he was a VP of sales when I was a VP of ops. And, you know, his saying was, Mike, I'm going to sell one more truck than you can build. And I'd say, JR, I'm going to build one more truck than you can sell. Right. So there was like this creative, constructive tension. Like, dude, I can build more than you can sell. And him saying, I can sell more than you can build. Right. Yeah. So we were, we were working e e each other up. Right. Instead of saying, hey, JR, quit selling. Right. I can't build them fast enough. Or him saying, hey, Mike, you guys need to work Saturday and Sunday because you're not building fast enough. It was really understanding, and this is something I think EOS does very well, is, hey, where am I relative to where I plan to be? And if there's something that's an impediment or there's something that could be an accelerant, how do I work with my peers? How do I work across the business uh, to help make that happen? You talked about the one gentleman being in a vacuum, right? Where he yeah. wasn't communicating with that VP of sales. And I think the silos get created at a lot of organizations where there's just not consistent, clear communication across different business units and functions. Right. And I, I agree with EOS has put together a, a system where you know the rocks, you know the holistic company goals, things they're being worked on, the, me the measurements or progress, you know, throughout those initiatives. But even if your company is too, too large, has too many layers, uh, and isn't necessarily target market for EOS, having some format of 
communication between business units of what the priorities are, how everyone can contribute to those and then progress. Like, I think that what happened is, is often left and leaves people feeling like, well, that was kind of for nothing, right? (laughs) The, The communication of outcome of, did we work through some of this stuff? Yeah. Are we getting better? Do we now, uh, are we still creating other inventory problems in yeah. as we're working through these? Are new ones popping up? Like just keeping everyone kind of in the know seems it, like a pretty simple but critical element. Well, and, and it is. I mean, you know, ultimately sales is the bridge from whether it's a manufacturer or distributor, Sales is a bridge to the outside world. They're the people who can bring feedback like, hey, here's what I'm seeing in the market. Right? Here's where the trend is going. Here's what we need to stay away from. Here's what we need to lean into. And understanding that you, know, you can't pick out any one function and get rid of it because then the organization wouldn't function as a whole. So there's interdependencies, like constructive interdependencies, but whether it's sales or finance or supply chain or marketing, understanding, hey, we're we're all rowing and we need to be as much as possible rowing in the same direction and to the same point on the horizon. Yeah. Are there any low-hanging fruit areas where you always know like there's a high likelihood you know, it can probably save you? Uh, or generate some quick cash flow, or this is the the one or two areas people always neglect. To, I don't know. Is there anything like uh, that 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 comes to mind? And that, I mean, there's. I definitely see things reoccurring. I mean, fill rates or on time delivery. That's one where hey, I may start out at ninety five, like ninety five percent fill rate, ninety five percent on time delivery, and over six, eight, nine, 10 months, right? That 95 is 88 or 89, right? So it's the kind of thing where it's like a gradual change and it's, it's like a dull ache all of a sudden becomes a shooting pain. So that to me is a leading indicator of, okay, how's the business doing? Working capital, right? If there's a trend of the working capital, which is money tied up in the business, if the working capital is starting to grow over time without any kind of clear cut reason, like, hey, we're a seasonal business. We have to build all the summer inventory by January, right? Okay, I get it. Makes sense. But if there's a step function change really in any metric, whether it's fill rate, working capital, I mean, it could be uh, square footage. Now, hey, (laughs) this is one of my favorite ones. Hey, why we we need we need to rent another warehouse? Can you help us figure out how big the warehouse needs to be, right? And and that's that's a question that almost has a predefined outcome, right? They're pre-assuming I need another warehouse. And the reality, or the way I like to think about it, is you know, Joe, if you were to wake up tomorrow in your home and there was two brand new closets that just showed up out of thin air, like you've got two brand new closets, what's going to happen in those closets six months from now? We're gonna fill them. You're gonna fill them. Probably in six days. <laughs> so, <laughs> and warehouse space is the same. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? So if I know I'm gonna pick up another 300,000 square feet, oh, I'm gonna fill it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of 
try to constructively put a pin in that and ask the question instead of, hey, before we look at the time and expense of getting new space, whether it's leasing or building, you know, before we look at adding space, which you know you're going to fill, how do we make sure that we're making the most of the space we already have, mm. right? So, you know, before you build those two new closets in your house, uh, let's clean out the closets we have because I suspect you'll be pleasantly surprised at how much room you can free up. Like, hey, I haven't worn this in a year or I haven't sold this in a year. Right. I, I need to get this out of here. Um, so, so that to me is, you know, when I get phone calls like that, hey, we need more space. We're running out of room. Okay, well, let's look at how effectively you're using what you have because nine times out of 10, um, you know, we can pull five or 10% out yeah. without, a, without a lot of heavy lifting. So that's usually a pretty clear indicator that you can offer some value, right? that you can serve. I can help, yes. You can help. I can be a solve some Solve some problems for <laughs> yeah. them, right? Because yeah. I love the parallel too of don't always just hire more people instead invest in the ones you yeah. have like there's this concept called multipliers by liz weiss and that's that on I, and i i don't want to give you a bogus stat i'll have to check it later but it, it, it's something like 40 percent ish of people's intelligence and capability are utilized at work okay on average, like an average company, their people say that about 40% of their intelligence and capabilities are utilized. The biggest swing is when they work for a leader who has multiplier tendencies, who makes room for mistakes, who asks questions instead of gives answers, stretches people capability, no. capabilities, empowers them, that they can actually exceed 100% because they realize intelligence and capability that they didn't even know was there. Right. And if you can double your output by just leading more effectively, just taking care of your people, you get twice the output for the same cost, you know, of what you're putting into it. And that parallel of, well, instead of getting another warehouse space that is going to enable us to <laughs> Fill get more aged inventory and tie up more working capital in stuff that's non-productive why not just make sure our processes are tight and what we have is the right stuff yep. right uh like i i love talking to you today how if somebody else wants to talk to you or if we were going through this if it uh what was a, a trigger and they're like ooh, that that hits or <laughs> resonates or uh, they, they just want to at least explore if there is uh, something you can help solve. How would they do so? And is there anything else that you do want to share uh, about what it is you do uh, or that our listeners may benefit from? So thank you. And, and Joe, thanks again for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I, I am a firm believer in EOS and uh, anything I can do to help spread the word and the mission, I'm happy to help. Love it. For... You know, those who something may have triggered a thought or a spark or, ooh, I need to talk to that guy. The easiest way to get a hold of me is if you go out to LinkedIn, if you type in Mike Ryan Inventory, my profile will be the first one on the list. 
uh, on my profile, I have a link to book a 20-minute call. It's free. And uh, other way to do it is if you go out to my website, www.mryangroup.com. Oh, or as I've got some buddies who like to call me the Mr. Yan Group, because it okay. spells the same. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so, mryangroup.com, uh, there's also uh, a link. And what it does is it goes out and finds a, the next open spot on my calendar. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And, and really, sometimes, you know, it helps to think through, right? Hey, here's this symptom, right? Here's this pain. And even just that initial conversation of, okay, well, have you thought about this or looked at this or check this out? Uh, I'm always happy to help. I'm always happy to be of service. And, uh, you know, for me, my sweet spot, my target audience, private equity owned manufacturing and distribution in the size range or the revenue range of 50 million to about 350 million. Uh, those are the businesses that I found uh, a lot of success at creating value with. Yeah. That, and that's some of our clients are in that range. So I hope they hear this. So we'll surely, <laughs> you know, tell them about it as well. Uh, you are, you have an impressive online presence. You're well, well networked. I feel like your website has uh, alliances or partnerships yeah. where you, you do seem to be a very help first individual, have a conversation about solving problems. And if you're not the fit, you're going to recommend somebody if you can identify that they are so I appreciate how you've uh you know, kind of promoted culture shock and, and the work that kimberly does with the eos uh check out the mryangroup.com for not only his services but uh the other that you think highly of my trusted advisors network who solve uh everything from you know of course we have eos right with kimberly but also things like transportation and logistics, right? That's one yeah. of the things about being, you know, when I first started out, I was air quotes, a supply chain guy. And Joe, what I learned was I spent more time describing what I did do than what I actually did. So that's why I say inventory and supply chain. Uh, and when people bring up transportation and logistics, I got a guy I work with for a long time, uh, Pete Webb. He is the guy when it comes to transportation, logistics, figuring out distribution footprints. So if I can't solve your problem, what I want to do is help connect the dots or get them one step closer by saying, hey, try calling this person or this person. Uh, they may be a, a better fit for the outcome that you're looking to create. Love it. Well, I'm grateful you had the, uh, albeit a little less conventional, jump into entrepreneurship. <laughs> Uh, glad that you did. I hope that resonates with others uh, because it, it sounds like you you enjoy the work you do. You're doing some good work, uh, and I'm grateful to meet you. So, yeah, you Mike, as well. Appreciate you very much. You can get in touch with him. Find him on LinkedIn. Follow him on LinkedIn. Yeah. He, he's got a a pretty good presence on there, and I think offers a lot of value, even if you're not in specifically manufacturing and supply chain. Similar to the conversation today. A lot of this stuff applies to so many other facets. There of are business, many common threads, yeah. Right. So that's it for today, folks. Uh, feel free to hop over on YouTube if you only heard this, so you can watch the video version of the episode uh, and go down in the show notes to get links to all those other resources. Feel free to reach out to Mike on LinkedIn or myself if you have any follow-up questions or any feedback on today's episode. Thank you much. Thank you. 